Everybody, welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number two two nine. With us today, we have Kyle Meeker. Hey, Paul. Good to be here. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Death Buckman. Hi. How are you, Paul? Good to see you. Good. What you what too. what uh, what area code is two two nine? Two two. I have no idea. What? You don't know? No. Neither do I. Somebody needs to Kyle look that up. Pull that up. Hey, producer, look that up. Two two nine. And then we also have the formidable. Ezra Okoti. Good to be here. Good area code 229 you. is a North American telephone area code for the southwest quadrant of the U.S. state of Georgia. So there you have it. We are Georgian today. Georgian. That's great. It made me think of this old sitcom, 227. I don't know if anybody remembers that. It was a spinoff of the Jeffersons. Which was a spinoff of? Of Archie Bunker, what, which was how do you know, all in the family. How do you know all of the, the all of these spinoff things? Were you a big TV junkie when you were a kid? Uh, no, my my family was a fan of uh, Archie Bunker. Oh yeah, and that was and the Jeffersons. Was that something that people would have known about your family? You guys are a good Mennonite family. Yeah, no. Was that no. okay back in that day to uh, to watch that kind of thing, or is well, that like you keep that on the down low? <laughs> no, we <laughs> we did not keep it on the down low, but we probably didn't talk about it too much either. No, okay. It wasn't, wasn't anything to be shamed of. Okay, before we go on, and I, I know you don't like the banter, but I, we'll limit this to like two minutes, okay? Oh. Two minutes. The best 1970s and 80s sitcoms. Go. Gilligan's Island. What? What? How is that 1970s and 80s? Are you nuts? It, wasn't it? No. Oh, my wasn't goodness. Wasn't 60s? Oh, it late 60s. Like 50s maybe. and like 60s, 50s. Gillian, yeah. Gilligan's no. Island. Yeah. Okay, All I right. saw it in a rerun, so maybe that's it. All right, right. Next Google one. It. Ask Google. Webster. Web- <laughs> Webster. <laughs> that little guy was crazy. He totally was. I do remember that. Remember Punky Brewster? Uh-huh. That was Punky a whole Brewster. lot of awful. Different strokes. Ah, oh, different strokes. Now that was good. Good times. Did you watch Good yeah. Times? Ah, little dynamite. Dynamite. JJ. Yeah. yeah. Sanford Jimmy and Walker. Son. What did you say? Sanford and Sanford and Son. That's oh. right. That's right. What was his wife's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm coming to meet you. It's a big one. It's a big this one. is the big one. This is the big, big one. I'm going to have a heart attack, Elizabeth. I'm going to come see you. Yeah. Did you yeah. get all of these in Kenya? Oh, yeah. I yeah. watched all of those shows. Yeah. All the ones these? I've mentioned. Oh, were there any that just had white people? Um, or were, was it family ties? Did you guys get family ties? You would not. No. A suburban a suburban white family. We, Who's no. the boss? We never. Nope. No. Nope. No. 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 Interesting. No. Different so strokes? Did we we, that? we got different strokes, okay. yes. I was oh, yeah. looking something up. Webster, Good Times. Do you know there was Thursday night in the States, anyway, Thursday night was the night where you had all the all of them right in a row, right? You had, what, what did you have? Cheers was in there. You had uh, Cosby Show. You had yeah, we got Night Cosby. Court. You had Family Ties. That was like mm-hmm. the night. You could, Honestly, oh. Thursday night, you couldn't even do like youth ministry back in those days because everybody watching the Cosby yeah. Show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah good right. stuff. Yeah, Good stuff. And now... We know way too much about Bill Cosby. So let's segue off of this subject. Yeah. 
on to other ones. Right. Well, we closed last week promising to talk about hell as the first question of this week because we didn't have time last week. But So here's the question. I believe, this is not me, this is somebody who uh, sent in this question. It says this, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that there is a hell, but I wonder if the bi- biblical language is clear enough to conclude that hell is for eternity, or could it be temporary after which people are annihilated? What is the best way to approach it? Yeah, so the, the argument in favor of people being annihilated, it tends to, tends to be the language of destruction. So that the word that's used to, to describe what happens in hell is they'll be destroyed. And so many of you will take, take that as a, to, to show that, well, that, that means utter uh, annihilation of some <clears> level. <throat> there are different kinds of annihilationism. So the way this works out, at least with the doctrine of hell in terms of the views, are that you will lump them together in categories. Uh, the first category would be universalism, and universalism's probably plural, because there's lots of different kinds of universalisms you can argue uh, uh, that people, the, the main point is that everybody comes, everyone eventually ends up in heaven. Some, some of those people will go through sign of a, kind of a purgatorial thing. That's a universalism, though, just like a universalism that would be on the moment of your death, you enter into eternal glory regardless right, okay. of who you are. So mm-hmm. people want to debate within universalism mm-hmm. what kind of universalist they are, but it's all, all I'm defining universalism as a, like, if, if you end up in eternity forever with God, right. then, then that's a universalism. So the second category then would be kind of the annihilationisms. And, mm-hmm. and I'm so some people would, would argue, yeah, okay, when you die, you're destroyed. Okay. Others would say, no, that they would call themselves conditional immortalitists or mm-hmm. they believe in conditional immortality, which means that, that the immortality of the soul is a gift from God given only to those who believe. You understand? Okay. So yeah. he doesn't give that gift. So, so if you don't believe, you're just going to die. Once your body dies, your soul dies, you're done. Right, but God gives the gift of immortality to those who are not th- those who are believers, and then the first category, which is more the traditional understanding, is that actually there is a judgment that is eternal in nature and lasting forever. So, uh, people aren't annihilated; people are, they they are uh, judged eternally, and that this is right will we'll end up being seen as righteous because God is a righteous judge. So those are the three categories here. So what we're right. the question the question that is being asked here is about the middle category. Is is there any biblical evidence to suggest the middle category? And yeah, some people would argue that the language of destruction go, goes there. Um, mm. But but I'm going to ask you guys, looking at Kyle and Ezra and Paul, mm-hmm. why would you be uncomfortable? I know your viewpoints on this. Why are you uncomfortable with annihilationism? Why am I uncomfortable with yeah. annihilation? Because the scriptures don't teach annihilation. Well, I just okay, just gave you some text that said, or the idea that of destruction that's throughout. See again, okay. So I'd go to Revelation fourteen, and uh, I would go to say verse ten, which talks about those who are worshiping the beast and its image will receive a mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And so this person will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, 
and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. So Christ will be there. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. These ones who have been thrown, they have no rest day and night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the the mark of its name. Yeah, it's a tough text. So it be, it's a it's a tough text there. I mean, where, for the it's a tough text for the annihilationists because yes. they're they're going to have to deal with usually what I've heard about this passage is that. If you're an annihilationist, they'll say something like, um, the smoke goes up, but the torment itself does not continue, right? So like, like uh, yeah, they'll, they will be n- not conscious, but the smoke will continue. That's only one view, one way that people have argued that. I, others have, I think, played around a little bit with the context here and tried to say, well, it's not actually talking about the judgment, eternal judgment. It has something to do with just the lo- local situation of Revelation. But you're smiling because you don't buy that. No. Now, Matthew 25, I think, is also a passage that's really hard. Mm-hmm. So Matthew 25, I think it's 41. Am I right about that? Matthew 25. I've got to punch it into the old, uh, the old one. Yeah, 46. Sorry. Matthew 25, 46. So this is the end of the story of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus separates the, someone is right, someone is left, and some will head off to eternal judgment, and others will head off to eternal life. Um so, verse 41, <clears throat> he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, which is the same fire that's spoken of in Revelation, actually, the passage that was just <clears throat> read in Revelation. Anyway, at the end, verse 46, he talks about, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's difficult to see a differentiation between the nature of life and the nature of punishment, because both are both are eternal. So if you want to say that uh, there is such a thing as annihilation and it ends, then it seems to me that you'd have to be obliged to say the, uh, the same about the life. Mm-hmm. Because the same word is being used uh, to modify both life and punishment in this, in this passage. It's exegetically, it's really hard to argue that life and punishment are different in terms of their length. Yes. Right. And that the, those who are in it so if I have to say, I'm going to experience eternal life, and I'm going to be conscious in that, one would think that you'd have to do the same thing with the punishment. Mm-hmm. At right. least that's the most yeah. natural way, I think, to read this text. Right. Yeah, the other one that I was thinking of was Mark 9, which um, Jesus is speaking, and he says, whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin, it would be greater for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and if he were thrown into the sea, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell to the unquenchable fire. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then at the end of that passage, referring to hell, verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So the argument is that the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched, but you will be absorbed in, in it. But you see how difficult, I mean, it right. ends up being coming mm-hmm. hard because you yeah. end up kind of, it's, that's not really the natural way to read the text, right? Right. You have to be looking for these, for these exceptions that the, the, the text naturally doesn't seem to really give you. So kind of the question that, that I have from that first, from verse 42, is why would it be better to have a great millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea Right. If I'm just going to annihilationism anyway. Right. Good point. Yeah. Kyle, you know, I mean, you deal with philosophy a bit. There's some some problems having to do with uh, 
like if annihilationism is true, there must be there are some problems regarding what that does to what we believe about Christ, what we believe about the atonement, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So Christ um, suffered as the person who incarnated was fully God and fully man, and he he suffered in such a way that he, as perfect God and perfect man, who was without sin, was able to take away and absorb the wrath of God for our sin. Uh, sin is not just something we kind of misstep or fall into or make a mistake about. Ultimately, sin is rebellion against God. So those who are in hell ultimately have, in one way or another, uh, shaken their fist at God and said, I don't want to be a part of your kingdom. I reject you as the, you know, the, the sole sovereign of the universe. So it, hell is a, a, an eternal um, emblem of what sin is about and the rejection of God. And Christ's cross is an eternal picture of, uh, for us, all who deserve to be in hell, how we've been given grace by God to have that sin taken away uh, from us so that we can be restored and actually worship God for who he is as the one sovereign king of the whole universe. Right. And if you have, I mean, if hell, if the punishment that is due sin Okay, so sin is sin is done against an infinitely worthy and holy God, so it's infinite in his in its scope of rebellion. If then you are able to get away with, because that's the question people often ask: is oh, how can God punish somebody for a temporal act eternally for a temporal act? Well, actually, it's not a temporal act; it's an act done against an infinitely worth an eternal thing. I'm not saying that you're doing it over and over again. It's just the worth of the one you've done it against is eternal. He's eternally and infinitely worthy. You're right. So the punishment due against an infinitely worthy object, yeah. right, mm-hmm. is is infinite. So so that's why you need to have an infinite substitute mm-hmm. if you're going to get out of it, mm-hmm. or you need to do it. You need to pay for it infinitely yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is why Jesus had to be both God and man. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Man so he could stand in the gap for us, but God so that he could pay infinitely the price due. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, in other words, what you do with sin, or sorry, what you do with the doctrine of hell now affects who Jesus is and who he needed to be. Uh, and that affects, of course, the atonement, because what did Jesus experience on the cross? Mm-hmm. Was, was, it, was it hell, or was it just a little bit of, little bit of punishment? Mm-hmm. Um, so philosophically, there's some challenges here. I mean, this this doctrine of hell actually ends up bleeding out and touching other areas, specifically the nature of Christ, that gets really nitty gritty and 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 troublesome to me on a very foundational level. This is why there are those who have argued that if you if you are a universalist, you stand outside of Christian orthodoxy, right, as a heretic. Yeah. And there are those who would want to press those who are annihilationists into that category as well, because they want to say, look, for you to limit the nature of the punishment is to limit the nature of Christ who took the punishment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's not a benign matter. Right. No, totally. Yeah. But what great hope we have, the lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels, Mm-hmm. Initially, mm-hmm. and what great great hope that we do have because of Christ to be delivered from right. that, to be restored back to our Creator. Um, that's something that angels don't. The angels don't have a shot at redemption. Right. Angels don't have a shot to be restored into fellowship with right fellowship with with the Creator. We do because it, of Christ. Would you say it's true that there's nobody in hell who doesn't want to be there? That's a common statement these days. Are you willing to go there? 
There's when I say, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to go to hell? No, are you willing to go to that? that are, you okay, are you willing to agree with that statement? There's nobody in hell who doesn't want to be there. What do you mean? What do you mean by that statement? Like, well, this has become. I'm, I'm just asking. Well, kind of in bran- their, branching think, out a lot in their rejection of Christ in their right. in, in their life. They've rejected to, yeah. Uh, and then by being sentenced to hell, they're actually even if they saw heaven, they saw Christ, they saw God, they would be like, "No, I hate you. Right. I'd rather go." The critique, the critique against the Christian doctrine of hell is that it's malicious and mean and mm-hmm. horrible and, and terrible, and how can we possibly believe in a loving God who would send somebody to hell? One of the responses that's been given is, well, everybody gets what they want. Right. Which I tend to agree with. Every, mm-hmm. Everybody in the world will get what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who are in hell want to be there, they, meaning they don't want God. Right? right. They, they don't want fellowship with God, not one, of a, not, not one that's humble, Right, God is their adversary in whatever way, and so um, I've often found that line to be a very interesting take. There's nobody in hell who doesn't want to be there. Or I think it was Lewis who said C.S. Lewis who said that the gates of hell are never are, are locked from the inside. I can't remember who said that, mm. but Lewis had some funky ways Pretty of sure understanding. Matt is shaking his head in affirmation. Yeah. He knows Lewis well. There, yeah. The, Lewis had some funky ways of understanding hell. Mm-hmm. He used to th- say that it was like a bus ride into heaven every day that you couldn't get off. Uh, so I, I'm not sure whether or not I want to fully agree with C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis's view. But Tim Keller's really picked up on a lot of uh, of his stuff, mm-hmm. and and he he would argue that no, actually the people in hell aren't. It's not a picture of God actually pressing people down into hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are trying to crawl out, you know, this is a big pit where people are crawling with sides, and God just keeps shoving his foot right back down in as if they want to get out. And Like Harrison well, Ford and, in Air and, Force and, One? Yeah. Get off my plane! Uh, yeah. And he kicks a guy in the face. Right, not like that. <laughs> not like that? Oh. But yeah. instead, it's people who actually are in hell because they because they they love their sin, they love themselves more than they love God and aren't willing to mm. bow their knee to him. And that yeah. so they are being handed over to to that i that right. does some justice quite honestly to the language of of punishment in the scripture i'm thinking about romans one mm-hmm. and passages where you get that language where god hands people over uh to their lusts mm-hmm. and they feel the full force and effect of that on their person you know the mm-hmm. addiction on their person and yet at the same time it doesn't totally mm-hmm seem to do complete justice to it because you know you get passages in philippians 2 that say every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ mm. is Lord. Mm. But yeah, so there's a, my point here is that there's a, there's a discussion to be had regarding what the nature of hell is like. Is it a bus right now every day? Is it like that kind of, is it fire? Is it outer darkness? Those are live questions for me. Uh, what kind of metaphors do we want to use to describe it? Mm. But what I don't think is a live question and by live, I mean one that I think should be denied, a, a, a viewpoint that should be denied, is that it's eternal in, in nature and that those who are there, are it's eternal conscious torment. Yeah. Um, which puts me in kind of the orthodox category here right. in terms of my take. And, and believe me, I don't say that as somebody who is spouting off theology. I say that as somebody who is deeply troubled mm-hmm. by, by that, uh, the idea that my f- people around me w- will be there one day. Right. Which moves me, of course, to want to preach to them. Yeah. <laughs> and it moves it me totally. to pray for them. And it, and it moves mm-hmm. me also to, to recognize that God is a lot bigger than I think he is. And my sin is a lot greater than I think it is. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, and I think uh, your position being on the orthodox side of this issue, I think uh, all of us around the table would agree with you there. So don't see any shaking of the head. So that's well, Ezra thing. just left though. Oh dear. Why Ezra, did you go, Ezra? I'm right back. <laughs> that was a nice voice. <laughs> kind of sultry. <laughs> anyway, so on to the next question. Uh, still with, uh, well, it's actually kind of along the same lines. We're talking about Satan, though. So the one who hell was originally made for, made for him and his angels. Uh, we have a question from one of our listeners that says, in reference to Ezra's sermon, he said that Satan can only be in one place at one time. So that wasn't this week. It was a couple weeks, a few weeks ago that you, yeah. you preached this sermon. Right. Yeah. Out in mission. <laughs> Out in yes. mission. Yep. Right. Where is the proof of this, that he can only be in one place at one time, and how does, and how does he move about? Instead, if he can't be in multiple places, how does, how does his movement work? You see, I think in Scripture, in Scripture we have um, only one being, only one being who the attribute of omnipresence is attributed to, and that's right. God alone. Mm -hmm. So, that's one attribute that God does not share with any created being ever. Mm. He's the only one. Right. who is omnipresent, the only one. Thank so when we talk about Satan and Satan being, or, or the, the person who sent in the question, it seems to me that he or she would assume that Satan can be in multiple places. Now you'll have to show me in the biblical text where this is the case. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's difficult to prove a negative, right? I mean, because that's what you're being asked to prove, to demonstrate. Mm -hmm. Show me that he's not that way. Well, I, I can't, it's hard, you, you need to demonstrate somewhere where we're taught that Satan is omnipresent, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, ultimately, uh, nobody is. Right. I mean, we were, we're told that God is, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yes. but, other than him, there's no other anyone anywhere who has that attribute. So, yep. so you have to show the burden of proof. In other words, is on the other side of the coin here. You need to mm -hmm. show. You need to show positively that Satan can be more than one place at one time. We don't have that. Actually, we have other language. Kyle's got Job open mm -hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning of Job, the first uh, interaction where the Lord actually discusses with Satan or calls him and talks with him and asks him where he's been. He, Satan doesn't say, "Well." That's a dumb question because I'm everywhere. Saint says, "Well, I've been roaming about, going th over the over the earth to and fro," uh, which implies that he his his localized presence is singular, as opposed to God, whose presence, because he's the creator and sustainer of everything, his presence in that sense is everywhere. He's not part of creation. We're not pantheists. Uh, he's distinct from his creation, but God is sustaining all of creation, so his, he is everywhere in that sense. Satan, on the other hand, has to go to and fro on the earth. He has specific places where he can be, and then if he's there, he's not somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, true now, that, I'm sure he that. could move quickly. Right? I don't know. It, are, we, can, are we told that talking? much? Quite honestly, are we no, told that much about Satan? I mean, this is one of the things in the, that I've always, I've always found yeah. kind, kind of remarkable in the scriptures. It certainly is, Satan is real. He's non-physical. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that he hasn't uh, taken on, you know, in, in, embodied in like a serpent, for example. <laughs> right. Um, but but he's, he's non-physical. He's angelic mm -hmm. in, in that way. He's like an angel of light. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're told some things about him. He seems to come across sort of as a prosecuting attorney a lot mm-hmm. in, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Like yep. he's just, he's, he's an accuser of the brethren, these mm-hmm. sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But I'm always really wary when, when we start stepping outside the bounds of the biblical record. Sure. Like I'm not saying that, you know, I actually think that spiritual warfare of the kind of confrontational variety is a real thing that happens in mm-hmm. places like Africa and other places. And so I do think we can learn some stuff about uh, Satan and his approaches outside of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't think we can learn something necessarily authoritative. You know, if I go and I ask if, you know, in a, in a if I'm having a power encounter and, and I, you know, you bind this, the, the demon and you start asking the demon things. So like, I'm not going to believe all this stuff. That this <laughs> right. Demon's going to tell me. Right. Uh, and so my, my point is, I just, I just, the sure word is in the Bible about what Satan is like, and there's not a lot there. Right. About it, which should show you at least some gives you some idea as to who the victor is. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and even if you, even if in, in terms of their movement, de- demonic movement, you look at what Jesus did with the um, the legion that were in the man, right, right in uh, the in the Gerasene area. Yes, and he and uh, the demons say to him, you know, what have you done? Like, well, oh, cast us into the pigs. So. It seems that the demons actually have, are restricted yeah. by what they don't have just free movement to go anywhere they want, but but they're restricted, and Christ can actually command them where they should be. But how they travel from one to the next, I don't know. Right. I have I have no I I have no idea. We're not told. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe right. they skip. So I can't put all no? my eggs in the basket of affirming that Satan can teleport like an Enderman in Minecraft. <laughs> no. Oh, no, but you know what's so crazy about this is quite honestly, this is the sort of thing though that th- this is what's frustrating to me at times about discussions about Satan again, who's real? Yes, and uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion, right. seeking someone to devour. Mm-hmm. And he is the enemy. Yeah, and he's a defeated enemy, and and he is going to lose him. Bound, Jesus bound him, right? So, but I'm I'm just saying that I, I find it odd sometimes how much people say about angelology or about the doctrine of de- or like demonology or whatever. They, they, they seem to talk a lot. Of, so there's some people who get really involved in, in describing these things in, in minute detail and talking about territorial spirits and this and that. And there's just not that much evidence to suggest biblically to suggest that this is actually the way it operates, but they seem to think that, no, no, there are actually demons that are in charge of different municipalities, and there's one for East Abbotsford and North, <laughs> like in Mission, and, I, and I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that it might not be the case. I just don't know. I, See, I, don't I know. think, I think uh, what people would do is they would read the Old Testament. So, for example, uh, Daniel chapter 10, where the, the, the angel, this great, uh, amazing being approaches uh, Daniel. And then we almost see like in scripture, like the veil is open, like Daniel's eyes are open. And then the angel says things about the supernatural world, the metaphysical world that are totally mind-blowing. And so there it talks about how there was an angel who is over this specific, specific territory and there's another one who will come and we have to fight him, Michael and I, and all these things. And so people would read that as prescriptive. So now this is what we need to do as Christians today. We need to be praying against the spirit that is hovering over Abbotsford and hovering over whichever municipality or whatever. 
That text doesn't tell me to pray against them. Exactly. So I think it's people reading the scriptures and you get a small little glimpse. But don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that we don't oppose Satan. Of course we we do. I just always think we pray to God. Yeah, we do. Right? And and, uh, again, the the biggest challenge, and one of my concerns about this kind of thinking is that it ends up removing the... It, it ends up removing uh, guilt and culpability. Like, why is it that I sin? Well, devil made, me do, devil made me do it, or I am the victim of these oppressive forces, which might very well be the case, but I'm also the perpetrator in all this. I've just come back from hearing people talk about brokenness over the last number of years, days, and I, and I know what they mean by that. They mean that we are, we are broken spiritually, that we, we are affected by sin, and it breaks us apart, right? And we are fractured human beings. But quite honestly, brokenness is far too passive a term to describe what's going on with me. Like, I'm a sinner. Like, I'm a rebel against God. Mm-hmm. I, I rebel against Him. And right. the world stinks because I made it that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. we all And do. I continue to make it that way. Mm-hmm. And so do you. Mm. And instead of talking about how we're the passive recipients of these things and uh, woe is us in that regard which is partially true. We are the recipients of mm. pain and suffering and yeah. brokenness. Mm-hmm. We're the perpetrators, and it's, it's dealing with that perpetration. Mm. It, it's dealing with, with that issue mm-hmm. that the gospel gets at, right. mm. that you need to be absolved. You, you, need, you need to be cleansed. And until we take responsibility for ourselves and see, the, see ourselves not as the victims, but as the, as the violent offenders, mm. that I just don't know if we're going to get anywhere. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Can I have another attempt at bad exegesis? Yeah, we go. Yeah, sure. Okay. So it's because Jesus cast the demons into the pigs and they killed themselves, Jesus was way ahead of the curve of the World Health Organization that just said, wow, bacon causes cancer. Wow. wow. Is that good exegesis? I think it's awesome. We should use it anyway because <laughs> bacon is great. Tasty. We just had some maple bacon chips in here. They were fantastic. Uh, you're getting cancer right now and, from them. And I, what? You're probably getting cancer right now from those yeah, bacon, probably. Maple, ba- maple bacon chips. Probably. So on to one more question for today. Uh, we had a listener write in and write about, here, here's the question. Um, Abbotsford voted conservative to nobody's surprise, he says. Now, we voted conservative and we have an, a liberal MP, I believe, now, too. No, I think so. No, uh, we do. Half, half no, no, no. Yeah, Jati Sadu got yeah. in, and that was that was part of Abbotsford That's as well. Abbotsford Missions, uh, right. Matt, Matt Squee. But right. see, Abbotsford's part of that but title you just there. had there, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Okay, so there, we yeah. have both, okay? Yeah. So, uh, but generally, his, his comment is, Christians tend to vote conservative. In the U.S., they tend to vote Republican. Some do, yeah. Some, oh, yeah. I mean, I want to say some, yeah. The majority, the majority of vocal evangelicals. Right. Would be, I think, conservative politically. And Republican. So this concerns him because he sees those kind of parties as the ones uh, funding the war machine that goes throughout the world and mm-hmm. imposes ourselves on other cultures, other countries, that kind of thing. So why do Christians tend to vote for these parties when they promote such violence? So as an American, let me try to answer this by by first saying, uh, if you were dealing with American politics, my view, Kyle, I want you to jump in here. My view is that uh, one, one of the cultural idols in the United States is, is patriotism and nationalism. And uh, I, I'm always, I mean, after living out of the U.S. for about 16, 17 years now, I'm actually 
pretty pretty surprised at how unquestioning Christians are regarding the the war display and right. The, right. I mean, like mm-hmm. we have. I always laugh that we have like Super Bowl or these massive outdoor uh, sporting events. And what do you have at the beginning of every the outdoor sporting events? Right. You have the the jet flyover. Right, yeah. you fly over, hoorah! And you know, I always think, well, it's just an interesting mix. They don't do that in Kenya, right? No, they, they don't wouldn't. do it in England. They don't do it in lots of other. They don't do it in Canada. They they do it in the U.S. When I was a kid, I used to think that the Soviets. Do you remember them? Yes. Yeah, I remember. Of course. Them. Yeah, they used to have these parades where they'd march that march down the middle of uh, right in front of the Kremlin. Yeah. And they'd have these massive missiles. portable missiles, and yeah. I was like, "This is the weirdest thing. Who has missiles in a parade? I mean, we have Santa at a parade where I where, where we are, or people walking right. their dogs. But who does this? But the answer is, the, well, the U.S. does this. We just do it at sporting events and other things. We have mm. this real military nationalist sentiment. To, mm. be, to, to be an American is to, is to support our troops. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, what I'm saying is that there tends to be this marriage between conservative politics and conservative, uh, conservative religion in the United States, whether it's Christian or otherwise. And in the Christian church, it's really oftentimes an unquestioning allegiance to the United States that someone get sometimes gets uh, mistaken among those Christians for being fidelity to Jesus, and so I, I answer the question by saying I think it's a cultural blind spot for a lot mm. of Americans. I don't know Canadians not so much, although I I tend to think that Canadians are sometimes di- dictated to by the values of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's my first. Here's mm-hmm. my second go though. Yep. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes conservative politics though, the, some some of the stuff that they're for social. Issues, uh, especially, are, tend to be more reflective of what the scriptures seem to teach about abortion, for example, mm-hmm. or about the about the, the the issue about homosexuality, for example. Uh, th- there are several of those things. Some places they're not, though. I mean, like I think the immigration issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the liberals are a little bit more along those lines, I would think. I don't know mm. enough about it, but but yes, they would right, and mm. and also some of the social justice issues. There tends to be, I mean. And and war and these, uh, to right. me it's a mix mm-hmm. uh, be- between these and I think that that's what the question is getting at man if there's a mix why is everybody voting just the one party one way over the other yeah right. but I don't know are we assuming that people are voting just one way over the other or is it just I mean are, is it too much to just broad brush Abbotsford as being all Christian and all conservative I mean I, I from the voting numbers Ed Fast got in by a mile. So it does look like that constituency, at least, voted heavily for him. But uh, he's also I, the incumbent, though, right? I mean, yes, yeah. yeah. But I would, I would think that a lot of non-Christians actually voted for him as well with yeah. those kind of numbers. Sure. Right. So we aren't looking at only Christians voting conservative. There's a lot of people outside of Christianity who have other faiths, no faith, who also have conservative values, especially when it comes to the economic policies. Right. So yeah, um, and when we look at the U.S. Um, to, to accuse war only on the Republicans, I don't think it's fair either. Under, under their current uh, leadership, they, they've, they've stayed in their countries. Uh, drone, uh, drone attacks are different, dude. <laughs> right, or, or the, Just, the attack. I'm kidding, by the way. That's, you can't hear that over, <laughs> over the air. It's me kidding, no. No, but the, if we look at uh, what's happened with Obama, like I read somewhere the other day, and this was somebody, I think it was the New York Times, they were like, Obama's legacy is war. Yeah, which is interesting for the New York Times to be saying that, because they're like, well, this yeah. is, you know. It was either New York Times or Washington Post. Yeah. Either uh, way. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, to to blame war completely on Republicans and conservative values, I don't think is fair. Except Kyle carries a gun. I carry awesome. the, the sword of the spirit. Oh, yeah. Mm. Nice. Nice segue. No, you know what? I, yeah. I think, though, that what, what I want people to hear is that, you know, you can faithfully vote for different parties, mm-hmm. right? Uh and unfortunately, there's no one party out there who's like, well, we have the Christian worldview in the corner of the market on it, <laughs> so right. that's, that's, right. that we, we just vote what Jesus wants. People will try to tell you that all the time, but that's, mm-hmm. just, not, that's just not the way it is. And so in the mm-hmm. end, this is one of the reasons why we as a church don't, I mean, I've had people come to me and say, you need to be speaking on this political issue or that political issue. We, we preach the gospel, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, the people, people live out the implications of the gospel in many different areas and places and no political party is the savior right. and no political party's got it all right right uh jesus does so right. uh we try to put into practice what it is that he teaches and and seek the common good through those means but at the end of the day you you could vote liberal or green or ndp i think mm-hmm. or conservative and and still be a faithful believer in jesus right yes yeah, I think in this election in particular, I think this was the first one where every party other than the conservatives said uh, none of their, none of the people running for them could be a pro-life candidate. Oh, wow. So the, That's the, hard. The idea of abortion, I mean, for me, is kind of a, a trumping yeah. topic. So Now, that the other thing is, if I look at the history of the conservatives, they never even brought it up over the last 10 years that right. they were in power, and they had a, they had a majority government for the last five years they didn't even produce any legislation to go towards limiting even so it's abortion. sort of off the table for so them it's too. kind of like yeah they 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 allow their people to be pro-life which is good i don't think any party should limit their right people from that but uh they also didn't do anything to right. promote our cause either as christians so right right yeah so there you go it's good fun we sorted that out yeah ezra you, you know how I tell Ezra how to vote all the time. <laughs> I can't actually vote. Did you know that? Even in the U.S.? No, in the U.S. I could vote. Well, but, no, can't yeah, but I can't vote here, no. You, you're, you're not, not a, a citizen. You can. I'm a permanent resident of Canada. Uh, Seek, I will probably be on my way to citizenship in the next while. It's funny, too. Do you have mom, to renounce your U.S. citizenship? No. no. My mom did. That's why I'm not able to be a Canadian citizen. My mom was a Canadian citizen, but right before I was born, she had to renounce her Canadian citizenship in order to become a U.S. citizen, uh, where she was li- living at the time. And so it's, it's yeah. Gotcha. So I'm trying to regain what mm. is what is by, by genealogy actually my right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're half Canadian. I am, man. I'm more Canadian than you are. You totally are. Blood, blood, blood wise. I mean, there you go. You awesome. totally are. My Prince Edward Island mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good Prince stuff. Prince Edward PEI. Yeah, wow. That's what they call it, PEI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So let's give the last word to Kyle today. Kyle, do you got a word for us to close us off? <laughs> love God and love one another. Have a great week. Amen. Mm-hmm.